I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a man we're welcoming back, Chris Ritter, the CEO of Ritter Sports Performance and the creator of Surge Strength. Chris was with us. He's a returning guest. He was on episode 241 and 374. He's been a successful strength coach and swim coach, and now he's driven to help other coaches and swimmers harness the power and potential of dry land training, which You'd have to be hiding under a rock not to know this guy is the biggest name in dry land training. The goal of surge strength is, is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers. popping in on the download or you're watching on video, it might be helpful right now just to hit pause and go over to surgestrength.com to enroll for free in the Surge Strength Academy's Dryland 101 courses. Invest in that time, invest in yourself, get a little education. doesn't cost you anything. Hey, bud, how you doing? Good. Welcome back, Mel. It's exciting to see how many episodes you guys have had. When I went back to look at what episodes, the numbers that you guys are churning out is pretty cool. So good job on you. Yeah, it's the swimming conversation has to keep going. We're coming off the pandemic and it's just uh, that's that's one lesson we learned. A lot of people suffered through the pandemic, but I think uh, a lot of people also learned how to be better and how to better serve the swimming family. So yeah. that, that that's that's our investment. And I know that you you we've been talking since the pandemic happened. So I, I know that you have grown and transformed all your businesses. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been a year since you, you launched Surge, Surge Strength Dryland Certification, and now you have hundreds of coaches and swimmers enrolled, and they're from you know, 20 different countries. And this has just been, the, been in the past few months. Having helped so many coaches and swimmers you know, up their dryland game by becoming Surge Strength Certified, um, is there anything you've learned or anything that you, know, you, you reflected on? Yeah, it was interesting. I'm looking back. I think that in a a few weeks time from when this airs here, we started those first webinars and people were just anything they could get right in terms of, all right, they're running drylands now via Zoom. What in the world do we do? And I remember when we launched the certification, I didn't even have it fully built yet. I was kind of building module by module as we went. And my audience was following along with me since then. Everything's obviously been finished. Like you said, we've had hundreds of coaches from 20 different countries. Mel, I have a shame to admit there were some countries I didn't even know existed. <laughs> they would come in. I'd be like, where is that? And have to look it up. So that's the cool part. And helping so many coaches go through now, we've learned a lot of how we can better support them because that's the end goal, right? Is to give coaches knowledge so then they can turn around and help their swimmers. And one of the things we, we've changed now is we're only opening up doors to the certification a few times a year. Think about it like a college course where, all right, I take this class, I'm going to have support from my professor, I'm going to have other students that are on the same track with me. So we've kind of changed that a little bit. But as I zoom out into the bigger picture of things, I think a really big thing that I'm very happy with is I feel like in the mid 2000s, I was still having to argue for dryland and dryland's place in a swimming program. Like it was still like kind of the redheaded stepchild of, yeah, well, we kind of do it sometimes or give it lip service. And I think that's really gone. Uh, We put out a free assessment for coaches to do 
grageyourdryland.com. And we've had hundreds of submissions and it helps coaches basically assess how's my dryland program doing. And no coach has gone through and basically had, you know, I don't do anything. Where do I start? So I think some coaches, most coaches are doing something. It really comes down to how are you doing it? And do you have a process that you can actually repeat and then you know, okay, I got results X because I did Y and then I can repeat it. Now, not to say you're just, you know, rinse and repeating the same workouts, but if you don't know how you got there, especially when it comes to dryland training, you're really just winging it. And that's not the best thing for the swimmers. I know for me as a coach, when I would wing practices, I was exhausted after it because I'm just hoping nothing goes wrong. No kids get hurt and we actually get better. And you think about how draining this last year has been for coaches just in general, like dryland doesn't need to be adding to that. So I think the process and coaches that are coming out and being SSDC now, they're certified, they can see, okay, hey, it's not as complicated as I thought because here's a process I can follow. I adapt it to my situation and then the kids are getting better results. And that's really um gives me a lot of gratitude that what we set out to do almost a year ago is actually coming to fruition. Like we were like, how can we help in this situation? And now we're seeing the fruits of our labor where coaches are like, all right, I feel like dry land is now a strength of my program. You know, our, th there was a lot there. It's a, it's a big update and I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, so, but what I'm, you know, what I, what I heard was something interesting. You want coaches and you want swimmers to think about their dry land training as a repeatable process, yeah. as a repeatable process. Is there more to that? Yeah. I think that when coaches think about their dry land, I think sometimes it ends up being, all right, let me just pull something out of a hat or a deck of cards and stuff like that. And I know I did water workouts like that and it's fun for the kids, right? But you can't build a season off of that, especially if you don't know where that season is going. We have meets scheduled now. Now we don't have meets scheduled. We have practices. And so with all this stuff changing, again, it goes back to why put more stress on yourself as a coach if you're then having to come up with different workouts every single day and kind of start at ground zero where the process, it walks you through how do I create a dryland program from that. And I think it really empowers coaches. I have not met a lot of swim coaches that don't take pride in learning something and feeling like, yeah, I picked up something here. And more importantly, they can turn around and help their swimmers and see the results. Cause I think every coach is in this to help people, right? They want, they enjoy the sport. It helped them on some level. Now they want to help their swimmers and dryland can be a huge part of that. But if a coach doesn't know, okay, where do I start? Or okay, my practice schedule changed. Now I have dryland at the end of practice instead of the beginning. What do I do? I can understand how you feel kind of lost. And so I think that's the biggest thing that's come out of the certification we put together is just giving coaches a process to go through, but then giving them off ramps if it's a different situation, because there are so many different situations coaches and swimmers are in right now. It's every, we, we, you know, and I, I swam my, my formative years in the 1970s and eighties. Uh, and, and some coaches were, were students and some coaches were not. My, my age, my first age group coach was a student of Doc Councilman, actually studied what he did. And we did that like clockwork. And then I had other coaches who <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing or why we were doing it. And, it. and I felt like we weren't building strength over the season in specific ways. I just, I knew that my first age group coach, 
uh, had it going on because they, they had taken the time to get educated and they had a plan. Dry land is such a broad topic. Um, when you say you need a process for dry land, is there a specific, you know, do you have specific examples that you can give us? Yeah, I think writing workouts is the biggest one that jumps out, right? Because that's what coaches deal with on either a daily or semi-daily basis. Most teams that I talk to, they're either doing dry land three times a week, maybe two, but and then maybe a little bit more. But three seems to be that average number. And if you think about it as a coach, you probably have a process for writing your swim workouts. At least I hope so. <laughs> Some process, right? Even if you're Dave Salo, who just famously doesn't write his workouts, just walks out on deck. He's got a process up here. He just doesn't share it with you. And so having a process for dryland to say, okay, I'm not just staring at a blank piece of paper and waiting for it to pop up. And here's an epiphany. And it's more about the consistency of workout to workout to workout. It's not just one workout that's going to make you. And sometimes one workout can break an athlete, especially if you're not at the appropriate level. So we've given them coaches checklists when they go through the certification. And some of those things are very simple that coaches are going to say, well, that's not anything new, Chris, but I don't think they think about it and break it down into, okay, if I just figure out these couple of variables and just an example, a couple of variables are how long is your session going to be? How much space do you have? How many athletes do you have? What equipment do you have access to? Even if you just started with those variables and worked backwards, by the time you've answered those four questions, you're now halfway to writing your workout. And it's going to be more appropriate for your situation. So I just think even giving some a little help for coaches in writing workouts is just kind of one example in terms of what we can do to help you with your dry land. Okay. If this is resonating, you know, with swimmers and with swim coaches, you know, what's the next step they should take? Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Right now we have uh, we're almost reaching a thousand students in the Surge Strength Academy taking these Dryland 101 courses, which is just awesome. Again, countries I haven't even heard of. I'm like, I need to catch up on my geography here to see where they're coming from. So surgestrength.com is the hub. Go in, enroll in the Surge Strength Academy, take all these Dryland 101 courses for free. That's what you could do immediately after this podcast if this is resonating with you. The other thing coming up later this week is I'm going to be hosting a webinar on the process of dryland training. And you can register that by going to the process of dryland.training, not.com, the process of dryland.training. And I'm going to break down this process even more. Like how do you individualize workouts? That's a big thing coaches struggle with. And believe it or not, there's some really simple steps on how you can individualize even group training. And I know I've done this practically. And then we've trained coaches to do it as well with groups as big as 30 or 40. If you're running a group that big in dryland, I can still easily show you how you can work with the lower level kids that can't do any pull-ups. And you got your other kids that are doing 20 plus pull-ups. We can still run a dryland workout with that. But again, if you don't know the process, you're just going to be scratching your head, winging it, pulling out cards and, and hoping for the best that no one gets hurt. So those are the two things I think coaches can do, whether immediately surgestrength.com now or checking out that webinar, the process of dryland.training. Your message over and over is educate yourself, educate yourself, arm yourself. Um, it, it's going to pay dividends. Um, you know, the, what's crazy is we know it pays dividends. We're seeing incredible performances. And, um, and, and we said this in the, in the podcast before, but it's like, I didn't understand how that was happening. And you said, no, 
people are they're doing they're 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 doubling down on their dry land and it makes a huge difference um one example of that mel if i could jump in real fast so if you listen to the surge strength podcast it's a few episodes episodes ago now we interviewed a coach ann burke down in texas and she works with the little guys the 12 and unders 10 and unders and she was one of the first to go through the certification and they were out of the water for weeks at a time i'm not sure if it, it reached months but it was significant and then it was kind of back and forth and when I was talking to her on the podcast, she talked about, all right, we, we were back from the biggest stretch of being out of the water. We were running dry lands as well as we could on Zoom. The kids get in the water, their body lines were amazing. And she's like, wow, what happened here? They are swimming better than they were previous, this multi-week break. And that really just blew her mind. And now she sees the power of what she's able to do when she has a process to follow. And again, even with the little guys, we know that they're just wiggling around, right? Trying to get from one end of the pool to another. If you can just help them figure out how do I stay solid through my body and then produce movement with my arms and legs, that's gonna help them get those double A, triple A times they're going for and helping the senior coaches as they go up the level. So that's where everybody can play a part, no matter if you're working with the Olympians or the eight and unders is just the power that dryland can really have, whether you're in the water or out. You know, now that we've got you, now that we have all this expertise on the swim, swam pod, you know, let's just, I'm, I'm gonna throw something at you here. And it's something that we all know in the swimming community. We, we walk out on deck and you're, maybe you're in the senior group, maybe you're in the mid-level group or senior group or in the, the elite group, the pro group, but you're, you're watching the age group. You're watching the little kids swim and they're doing survival stroke. And when it comes to fly, it's like, it's, it's, it's a bloodbath. It looks terrible. It's just like, these kids are going to die. They're not going to make it. Um, you know, if you're, if you're trying to build strength to hold your body position in a stroke like fly, you know, what's a, what's, what's a pro tip? Pull-ups are so huge. And especially I, I would say, I'll make a little bit of a generalization, Mel, for female swimmers in particular, not just physiology wise, when they can go from zero pull-ups to even a couple, but mentally, and I've seen it both as a coach and helping other coaches mentally behind the block, they're standing up taller and they're like, yeah, I'm going to take on this 200 fly. Like, watch out. Here I come. I'm strong. And I think there's something about that when a coach can empower a swimmer like that and a light bulb goes off, that can be so much more effective than any test set you're giving them in the water. And honestly, any dry land thing that you're doing on land, when you can get their mind to say, I, I can take this, I'm not going to be afraid of that last 50 of the 200 fly. And there's a dry land one-on-one course right now, Mel, if you can't do a pull-up, we walk you through the exact steps of where to start and where to actually be doing multi body weight pull-ups in an effective way, no matter where you're at. So check out the search strength Academy for all these resources. We're trying to get into the hands of as many coaches as possible. It makes me wonder, cause you're based in North Carolina. There, mm -hmm. there's one team that like stands out. It's, it's almost like their pull-up game is on display and they're showing off. Because, you know, if, we're, if you're in the gym and, uh, you know, you need to, you need to build, you need to build your upper body strength and your, your back and your pulling strength, you, you, you walk by that pull-up bar, but you keep walking by. You're like, you don't want to do it. It's painful. <laughs> it's, it's like repeat 200 flies. So you don't want to do oh, it. Yeah. But yeah. The, I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, I, I, 
it's uh, Braden Holloway, NC State. It's like they their pull up game is ridiculous. Um, well, and they had a fantastic strength coach who's no longer there. He's working in the the minor league hockey or uh, major league hockey now with the out in the Seattle Kraken, uh, Nate Brookerson. Yeah, and, and I remember I connected with him many many years ago, and that was another cool thing, Mel, where strength coaches that don't have a swimming background are then able to kind of deconstruct the sport. And, and then when you pair them with a great coach like Braden and that you put your minds together, I mean, it's no surprise NC state's doing that. And that goes to another uh, reason of why we created the cert is to help strength coaches learn more about swimming. So if a strength coach goes through this certification, I don't know if I'm going to give them any grand ideas about periodization or programming. They're probably well along in that, but there are modules that are really going to open their eyes about what swimmers go through on a daily basis. What does it take to be a great swimmer? And in turn, that's probably not going to be the most exciting thing for swim coaches that know all that, but for the programming side, for a swim coach to understand that. So we tried to make sure we were able to help both populations, a strength coach that doesn't have much swimming background and a swim coach that doesn't have any strength background. And they're all getting served uh, in the Surge Strength Academy, getting certified. I love that. I, I love that, you know, a lot of the strength coaches, my strength coach in college was had no swim background, but they did work closely with our head coach. Um, but what I did love about what you were sharing is that uh, the psychologically, what, what pull-ups can do for you in terms of just, um, yes, you get stronger and you, you have a lot of confidence knowing that you can put your chin above that bar. But it makes me think about Braden Holloway at NC State <laughs> because the athletes, I would see them mid-season. They would finish their, you know, we, we, I, I was never on deck. I was, I was seeing them at meets, but the, the athletes would obviously be done competing. And there might be a day left. And there were certain people that were on day four and they, they had just finished. But as each athlete finished competing, they would go over to the bar and they were, they were doing it. They would, someone would go and they'd do reps. And some people were doing up to 15 to 20 reps. Then somebody would come in behind them and they'd do reps. And they did that over and over and over. And that has another psychological advantage. Uh, advantage. <laughs> yeah, it intimidated that? me. I don't know what it was doing to everybody else. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's strength in dry land, but coaches got to figure out their process of how they're going to harness that and not just wing it every day. We covered a lot of the information that I wanted to cover in this podcast, but, I, but since I have you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep asking for some pro tips if that's okay. If not, you can yeah, be like, yeah. no, push off. Everybody needs to go to searchstrength.com. But uh, so here's, a, here's, this is, this is, a, there's another thing that you see and you see it um, with young age groupers. And then you see a, an evolution that comes with strength and you see it over time. Some people, you, you don't see it until they're, you know, they're preteens or in, until they're 15 or 16 or 17, mm-hmm. but it's as simple as seeing the freestyle stroke and seeing they're, they're this, when they're younger, it's a tight stroke, it's short, and then suddenly we see them open it up mm-hmm. and it gets bigger and bigger with more reach. Pro tip, what can you do in dry land to open up that stroke? Shoulder mobility. And if you are not addressing that on a daily basis, I would almost say twice a day if you need to make up ground. And this is one of the things I talk about in the certification mail. I call it the eternal struggle of the swimmer. If you think about how many repetitions they're doing on a daily basis and add that up, you quickly get to six figures of shoulder rotations. 
And to just, just sit with that volume and think about, okay, that's a lot of volume. Am I doing anything to quote unquote balance that out or counteract that? And that's honestly a hidden strength of dryland is all this forward motion of the shoulder going up and down the pool. Even if you just do a little bit of strengthening the back, a couple shoulder mobility exercises before post-practice, you're going to be able to keep swimming long and hard. And that comes down to if swimmers aren't in the water consistently because they're injured, not because of COVID restrictions, but if they're injured and having to sit out, they're just treading water literally in their progression. And then the coach gets frustrated. The swimmer gets frustrated. They lose interest in the sport. And I remember seeing it when I was an age group and senior coach, and it would just break my heart of, of kids, 14, 15, 16, having shoulder surgery and feeling like I got to retire from the sport. What else am I going to do? And that's not how the sport should leave the taste in your mouth. I think. In our conversations off camera, that's, um, I don't think I'm giving away too much to say that, you know, Hey, we, t- we talk about an elite, we're not going to drop any names, but let's just say they got gold medals and they have their career Peters who tapers off to, uh, you know, the fast approaching retirement because of an, a shoulder injury. And you seem to almost get emotional about it and, and, and frustration and because your response is that shouldn't happen. And uh, it's, so if I'm, if I, let's just say that I'm, we, we have an enormous crop of athletes right now that are coming up that are young and it seems to happen, you know, every generation mm-hmm. it seems to happen now at a higher level since we've gone through the Phelps era. And now we have mm-hmm. the Ledecky, Simone Manuel, Kitty Ledecky, Simone Manuel era. It's like these kids are coming on faster than we ever could imagine. Yeah. But this is the moment where they've got to be doing this work to prevent shoulder injuries. What's a pro tip, buddy? How am I, how am I going to protect my shoulder? So even something as simple, Mel, about kneeling next to a wall, and it really doesn't even matter which knee you're going. We have plenty of exercises too on our YouTube channel, a whole playlist of shoulder mobility exercises. So you don't even need to go through the process of registering the academy. If you're that lazy, just go to our YouTube channel, go through the playlist. But one of the good ones I like is standing or kneeling very close to wall, taking that close arm, elbow straight and seeing how close I can get to the wall almost in 360 degrees, just going back and forward. And you're going to have to listen to your body a little bit. There may be a point where let's say if, if I'm, I'm looking at a clock, you're getting to 11, 12 o'clock and it, you start to feel maybe a little click or a little tightness, move away from the wall a little bit and let your body just guide you. This is not something that you just jump into. And I think that's the bigger picture we're trying to communicate with dryland is it's not a one-time fix. And I think that in the swimming community, that should be an easy thing to resonate because we know that with sets, right? Like we know it works on season, upon year, upon quad, and it builds. It's not just that someone just shows up at a practice for a few times and all of a sudden they're swimming like Caleb Dressel or doing his starts. Like it takes time on a daily basis. And so even doing something as simple as that, if you're a coach, it's on you to make sure that your swimmers stay healthy because they're under your care. They're doing your program. And if they're not engaged in what you're doing, that's on you as a coach to figure out how to engage them and communicate what you're doing and why. Because when athletes understand it, and especially this generation, when they understand why we're doing something and not just because I told you so, that's when you really get a culture. My guess, and, I, and, and this is not something you, you've shared. I'm just guessing. My guess is that um, you're hearing from coaches, and I'm not asking you to name, to name names, but I guess that you hear from coaches 
when it's late, when they're already um, experiencing problems with uh, key, key, tim, key, key swimmers who are on the cusp of swimming D1 or just swimming mm-hmm. college or about to cross that threshold and become an elite. And they're already experiencing problems. And uh, I imagine that might be a little frustrating for you. And, you know, I'm glad, Mel, if I am talking to a coach with whereas that's the situation, I don't blame them because at that point, at least they did something and they realized there's a problem, right? I blame the coaches that put their hand in the sand and say, I was just that kid. Oh, it's just that kid, you know, something genetic or they're just not a hard worker or they complain too much. I think those are the coaches, but I really think in the heart of hearts of most coaches, that's of the far minority. And a lot of coaches maybe just don't know where to turn to or what to do. They don't have a process to repeat and know if I do X, I'm going to get Y and that's going to be a better result for my swimmers. I think coaches are overwhelmed. I don't think we know, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know coaches are overwhelmed. They're acting as a CEO of a team. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're not, if they're married, they're not at home for dinner. They're, they're away on, on weekends. And in the middle of all this, they're trying to manage, they're trying to do that office work. So it seems like the last thing that they come to, they're coming to in a rush and a hurry and it's uh, and they're, and they're afraid. And mm-hmm. it's uh, so, you know, how easy, you know, just help people unpack it. How easy is it to engage in the Chris Ritter ecosystem. So Mel, I love this specifically. I want to go to a micro level like with workouts, for example, right? And on that webinar, I'm going to show you how to write a dryland workout in less than 10 minutes. And one that you can repeat, change a little bit because you're right. You're dealing with so much stuff. Coaches don't have an hour to sit down each day and here's my dryland workout, but it is important enough. You have a good process to go through. And so just giving the coaches the power to be able to do that, I think is a real important thing. Um, I'm forgetting. Did, what was the specific question that you asked Mel? I got lost. In it's just like, you know, how it's, it, you're answering it now, but it's just like, you know, it's, it, you're, I, I know, co- I know the mind of a coach. I know that, that um, they have so much to manage that it's like, okay, I got to manage this now too. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do this, I'm a failure. And I never, you know, I meant to get to it last week, but now I'm going to get to it this week. Or I'm, I've got some vacation time and I'm going to start it now, but then they, they need that downtime. So it's like, this is, it's easy to engage in the Chris Ritter ecosystem. And, yeah. uh, cause it is, you are an ecosystem now. It's just the, everything that you need is there. It is a, it is a dry land educational ecosystem and you, and you need to drop in. And it's just like, I'm trying to make it as welcome as possible. So they'll just take that first step. Yeah. Academy is the first part. Like I said, join us on that webinar, the process of dryland.training. Show you how to do a workout in less than 25 or less than 10 minutes. And I know that's important because of that grade your dryland assessment that we had. 25% of the respondents, Mel, coaches said, I have no plan until I walk into the door for my dryland workout. And that wasn't that hard for me to imagine, but I want to help drop that number down because I know that those workouts aren't going to end well, whether it's that day, that week, that month, or that season, it's not going to be as good as it could be. And you're leaving a lot of potential on the table, but I get it. I was a coach. I know how crazy it is. I can't imagine the last year for coaches. And so don't let dryland be hanging over your head, do something about it. And in as little as 10 minutes, I'm going to show you how to write a workout. Chris, if I had a nickel for every time I heard from a star athlete, 
or their coach or their parents. And they've said, you know, they're, they're, they're distressed, they're heartbroken, they're, they're, they're down and they're, they're describing an, inner, an injury of their kid, you know, of this athlete. I, it happens so often. And it, it's surprising that um, even among the, the elites, they're, they're not doing it correctly. And it's, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's like, how do you, how do you reach someone that it's, you know, that's, that's, I'm 23 years old, you know, I'm, I'm now postgraduate and this, mm-hmm. I've never focused on this because I've always had a great, I, what's, what I'm doing in the water has served me. Um, is that, do you have that experience too, with people coming very, very late in their career? Oh yeah. And, and honestly, Mel, even if you are a quote unquote post-grad professional, that cuss swimmer, or you're a master swimmer. I feel like those are some of the best athletes to work with because you have so much invested. Like if you're one of those swimmers that just graduated a year or two ago in college and you're trying to hang on to give one more Olympic trials, you're you're committed to this as, as much as you can, right? You're probably not making a lot of money. You're probably making a ton of sacrifices in order to do this. And so I found over the years that those are some of the coolest athletes to work with. And even going up to the master swimmers, 50, 60 years old, they're just trying to push themselves. Hey, how fast can I go? Can I beat my buddy so I can talk trash to him when we go get breakfast, you know, tomorrow. So those swimmers too, we made the certification for people that are self-starters and learners. It can be the same thing too. So even if you don't need a quote unquote certification, it's going to walk you through that process of what do you need for your program? Where are you at in your career? What's your physical abilities? Like what's your shoulder mobility? What's your pull-up strength? All of that stuff and give you a repeatable process to go through. So no, I'm excited to work with athletes like that. I think, you know, the sacrifices that they've made and seeing it firsthand up close for years leading up to an Olympic cycle. um, I have a lot of respect for athletes like that, that want to basically put their life on hold and throw themselves into something that they have so much passion for and a desire to succeed and see what happens. I think it's awesome. I have a really dumb question and I'll preface it by saying this. If I know that I'm going to cycle through, cause I'll, I'll do yoga, I'll lift, I'll do a lot of different things. And then sometimes I'll cycle through and for six months during the warmest months of the year in Austin, Texas, I'm at the pool mm-hmm. and, uh, but I'll always do a lot of shoulder work before I ever touch the water. So here's the dumb question. If you've been a swimmer your entire life and life happens and you take time away from the pool, um, are you experiencing a situation where you've actually stretched out your tendons and you have your muscle mass is so big around your shoulders and then you experience atrophy and maybe those tendons are like rubber bands. It's like they're longer. Oh, oh yeah. And, and especially if you think about what makes a good swimmer, it's probably the anti of what makes a good dry land athlete. Right. And, and that's, that's the thing you have to balance as a coach of saying, I don't want to hurt my kids on land but I want them to be better swimmers, but those two things don't mix. And so with something like that with shoulders, I would say start with something like a waiter carry with a kettlebell or, or dumbbell overhead. And so what that is, you, you'd see a video of this on our YouTube and you're gonna say, okay, Chris, that looks like a complete waste of time. Like what, what are you doing here? But when you put a weight overhead and it doesn't even matter what type of weight when you're starting off, if you let your shoulders sink down into its socket, so it's not pushed up, you feel it sunk down, and you just slowly walk 10, 20 yards, turn around, whatever arm is up. I, I recommend that's the turn radius. And if you just do that a few times, it fires up all those muscles that are supporting your shoulder, the rotator cuff, 
all the other supporting muscles and it helps them get stronger, but in a very safe and controlled way. So then when you start to bring in movement, that's where if you have either a mobility issue or a laxity issue, that's where you can get in trouble real quick, real fast. So I try to break it down. If you have a situation like that to say, what's the safest thing we can start with that's still going to help you. And let me tell you, doing waiter carries with 80 pounds over your head. I mean, if you get to a point where let's say there's no underlying things or you're not dancing around pain or anything like that. I recommend the weight that's sufficient for waiter carry is you need two hands to push it up and then one hand to hold it. Like that's, that should be a standard weight for a waiter carry and go walk 20 yards with 80 pounds over your head and tell me, did you feel that? And that's going to help your shoulder in an extremely safe way. I managed to get, I think four or five pro tips out of, out of this. We should really title it Ritter surge strength pro tips. Uh, but we're not, we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let people know what we talked about in the, in the front part of the podcast. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to journalistically do this correctly. But uh, anyway, since you were on the, the podcast the last time, I have to catch up with you. You had some goals for the year and we're almost a third of the way through the year. So how's it going? Yes. Yeah, so if, if you're on Clubhouse, by the way, which I'm loving so far, so go ahead and follow me if you are. My bio has my goals out there so I can have public accountability. And with the, with the COVID shutdowns and everything, I think everybody was thinking mental health. How do I do self-care? And for me, hiking and listening to books, I figured I'd put those two together. And so I'm trying to hike 1,200 miles and read 52 books this year. I have to say, Mel, I am a little behind, about three weeks behind on my books, but my hiking average, I'm still really strong on my hiking average, but in the bigger picture, and I honestly didn't mean this when I started, I think it's very analogous to dryland training, where if I can plan my week and I look at my calendar and I say, okay, where are three days I can go out and get a three mile hike in or a three hour hike in? I usually will be able to get eight to 10 miles at that point. If I can do that, the goal is simple. It's I'm going to hit it. It's not a problem. The problem is when I'm not planning, when I don't have a process of my schedule and I look at my week and it's Friday and I haven't hiked at all or listened to any books, that's where I'm going to get behind. So I thought that was interesting of it's the little things just done consistently. I'm not going to go hike 1200 miles in one day, but over the course of the year, that's not that hard. And so for me, it's a good challenge to just keep it up and go through it and listen to some interesting books too. And if anybody is interested to waste five hour, five minutes or 10 minutes of your time, I do another podcast where I tell you what I listen to and what I think about it. Uh, that's Remember Pink Monkey podcast. So you can check that out too. I like your branding. Remember Pink Monkey. It, it works. No, it's <laughs> good. It's good. high school, Mel. <laughs> No, no, I'm in it. I, I think you can catch up. I, I don't know what's harder, hiking 1,200 miles or reading 52 books. I think you, you just need to hike more slowly so you can you can reach your 52 book benchmark. The um, that's pretty cool. You've inspired me. I, I've been reading more, but I'm not at 52 books. I'm not on course for 52. And Guys, then I'm he, dumb, Mel. I I have hard books on my list and deep thinking books. I'm like, why did I do that to myself? But it's it's enjoyable. It's fun. Guys. Right now, go visit surgestrength.com to enroll for free in the Surge Strength Academy's Dryland 101 courses. Register for the free webinar, The Process of Dryland Training, this coming Sunday by visiting theprocessofdryland.training. Chris, buddy, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure, Mel. Thanks. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. 
You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.